and we're live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Sober Grind. It has been a couple weeks off. Life gets in the way sometimes, but we're happy to be back and we have a super important, can never be talked about enough topic for today. Pej, you want to introduce the topic? Yes. Uh, today's topic is about parents who enable or people mm. who enable the addict or the alcoholic, um, how it actually hurts them more than it helps them, uh, what enabling actually is about, how, how it works, why, what, what's the difference between helping and enabling. We want to talk about that and, and you know, personal experiences and things that I've seen more recently that, that, um, that are not conducive in helping the person go in the right direction and get the true recovery that they need. Yeah. I'm yeah. really excited about this. So if you are a parent or you know someone that's a parent, make sure you share this with them, tag them in this, let us know what questions you have so we can best address and answer this information for you. So it can be as good as, as possible. Mm -hmm. So Pej, right off the bat, I mean, what do you, what are some of the common enabling things that you see from parents? Well, Let's before we get into all that. What I really want to do is, where does this all stem from? Where, how does a kid go down the dark path, and mm. and then what what um, actually puts a parent in a position where they could be defined as an enabling parent or a helicopter mom or dad? Mm. Um, there's there's different types of people that um, raise their kids differently. Obviously, um, some I don't think there's a handbook for true parenthood, yeah. uh, like what it means to be a parent and. And um, a lot of kids... It's a tough question to answer. It's, it's very tough. So a lot of kids grow up spoiled, you know. They expect a lot. So um, if you don't give them what they want, then they start acting out and they, yeah. they act differently. And then there's, kids are different. There's a lot of different kids that come from all different walks of life. Mm -hmm. Some of them um, have um, their own personal issues. Some kids are oppositional. Some kids are, are very good kids that did very well in school, academically, and things like that. But as they start to grow up, they start experimenting or making friends with different people and, and doing things that um, are out of the norm. It's not really out of the norm for kids because experimentation for kids is always going to be there. Yeah. The majority of kids are going to use and drink. They're going to they're gonna be exposed to the party scene. They're going to go and try and have fun with their friends, and, and they will... Um, They'll get into things, you know, they'll get into drugs and alcohol. Now, there's another population of kids that um, the party starts when they're 17 or 18, and it doesn't end until they're however old they get, you know, right. some into their 20s and 30s and some um, their whole life. So when it comes to enabling, you know, um, some of the things that I've seen and experienced myself is the fact that when, when you provide for your kid and you give to them and give, 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 and on top of it, you give them rewards or sometimes mm -hmm. you just give them things because you want to make them happy and you know that if you give them gifts and things like that, they, they start to expect. And mm -hmm. so, so then they, if you don't give and you hold back, then they get angry with you and they get upset of why aren't you giving me because I'm used to you giving me things. Right, whatever that may be, and this could be in the form of like video games. It can be in yeah. the form of gifts. It can be in the form of um, candy. All different types of items that make people um, happy. What's you know? up, Trey? Hey, Trey. It's Thanks always for good tuning to see in. you on here. So, <clears throat> so then you know, fast forward. You get into my world. Like per personally, like when I was actually growing up, I you know, at the age of 17, 18, my parents split up, so I had to go live on my own and and kind of be my own man, and so. 
if if I was enabled, it wasn't really until later in life because mm -hmm. I kind of went gotcha. out and did my own thing and became this uh, drug dealer and I thought I was high powered and I had it all going on. I, I lived that Scarface life and then down the line, I started my own clothing line with no business sense and hmm. it did really good for five years until it did cool. do good. Mm -hmm. And because of my, my addiction, I ran that thing into the ground. But once I was starting to create enough wreckage for myself in my life, who did I lean on to more than my own mother, right? So it was my mom that came back and like she she was doing her life, living in a different city. And, this, and she was up in L.A. I was down in Orange County. And she came back down and she knew that her son wasn't doing well. But she didn't know how bad I was doing. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know how bad I was doing. I knew I was doing bad to the point where I'd gotten evicted from my place. So I'd lost the, the place of living. Um, I had gotten my car taken by a loan shark. So mm. I ended up going and... Um, staying with my mom at the age of 29, 30 years old, right? Mm -hmm. And when I was staying with her, um, there were some conditions that she said, you have to have a job, you have to be sober. And and for me, like sober meant, okay, I'm just not gonna do heroin and meth. So I try to dry out, clean up, not do any of that stuff. But I was still drinking and smoking weed and things like that. So I'm living with my mom and um, I got the job just to make her happy, you know, and I didn't have to pay for rent or anything like that. And then it just happened. Like all of a sudden I started hanging out with the old friends again. Not that I ever really stopped, but sure. I started hanging out with those old heavy drug using friends. And before you knew it, I was still doing heroin and meth and all the different things. And, and, um, and so, you know, I'm running my life into the ground. I'm being totally enabled by my mom. She's mm -hmm. allowing me to stay there. She sees clearly that I'm not looking well, but she had to work long hours during the day. So she'd yeah. be gone all day and I would be, you know, bringing people over to the house. And mm -hmm. this is in my thirties, like right at 29, 30 years old and bringing all these people to her house. And, you know, some people broke, went through a room with, without my knowledge until later when we found out and, and took some of her jewelry and things like that. But then I also, um, you know, wasn't well and she'd come home and she'd see me or I'd be up all night or I'd try to avoid her at all costs. And, and not be around the house when she was yeah. around the house. And then later on when she'd go to bed at night to go live her regular normal daily life, then I would sneak into the house like two, three, four in the morning and then go down in this little garage where I was secluded and just doing my own thing, bring tons of people in. Mm. And this was just the way life went on. Mm -hmm. so, so she didn't really have an idea or do you think she knew? I think that she didn't want to believe that I was mm -hmm. as messed up as I was. Sure. And, um, you know, we there was a lot of times that she would definitely want to... She saw me not going anywhere with my life. I was yeah. in my late 20s, early 30s. She knew the talents I had. She knew that I'm more than this. She knew that she raised me to to become a, a productive member of society. But I was like, I had a minimal job and I was just mm -hmm. living off of my mom and I was going to run that well until it was dry, right? Sure. So, so as it just kept on going and going, I remember that at some point or another, um, you know, my I got arrested again and I got actually her house got raided by the, mm. the methamphetamine task oh, wow. force because I was starting to... Uh, one was she there when that happened? She actually wasn't there, but she was okay. going to be coming home. And gotcha. um, I remember like that was my another stint in jail, and I was sitting in jail. And once I got out, she bailed me out. And, and so there she's helping me again. Mm -hmm. And then she got this high-powered attorney, and we fought this case. And she didn't allow me at her house. I went to sober living, but somehow I worked my way back in. So mind you, my mom had no knowledge of her codependency. She had no knowledge of the fact that she enables me. Well, it's hard for parents to kind of have that self-reflection point because Very they hard. want to 
all they want to do is help their child. Very exactly, and that's the thing. Uh, and that's counterintuitive. She, she really but... truly thought that she was helping. Mind right. you, we're Persian, so in our community, you don't want the community to find out, let alone the relatives or anyone yeah. that the kid's a drug addict, right, or an alcoholic. So they, they, she would just keep on thinking that she can fix the problem, fix the problem. So over a period of time, then after a while, like it got to a point where she had had it with me. She kicked me out on the street. Somebody mm-hmm. got into her ear, told her like, "You're not helping him. You're hurting him. Mm-hmm. You gotta let him go. You gotta just let him fall on his ass." Sorry, but and figure it out for himself. I shouldn't say this in a professional setting, but anyway, so that just happened. Anyway, we so, keep it real here. So, yeah, we keep it yeah. real. I'm CJ Kidd. <laughs> um, <clears throat> So down the line, what ended up happening was um, I was homeless, and she put me in a position to where I got desperate, and I reached out for help. Mm-hmm. And um, some people would not recommend to let their kid go homeless. A lot of parents don't want to take that extra step and saying, "Put you out on the street." You got to. Some parents get so fed up because there's been so many countless attempts at trying to help their kid, they just right. can't seem to do it in their house, that then they just cut off all ties. Yeah. What happened with me was my mom had to cut that umbilical cord because I was very attached to her, mm-hmm. you know, and she was very, she hovered, she always hovered, and whenever she would call, I would duck and dodge her phone calls because I didn't want her to, to hear my voice because I knew if she'd hear my voice, she knew that I wasn't well. Mm-hmm. A mother's instinct, she knows her kid better than anybody. She knows if you're loaded, right? So I would do, yeah. I would avoid her calls at all costs. You know, if I had to, I kept the, the phone conversation very minimal. But um, finally, you know, when she cut me off and I was on my own, it put me in a position where I I was a very proud drug addict. Like I wasn't going to ask for help. That was the, my biggest fear as an addict was mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to ask for help. So I ended up um, going homeless for about six, seven months. And then over a period of time, I, I finally just came to the conclusion that I need to get help. So I called my mom. And again, she wasn't helping me. She mm-hmm. put me... And she put me in the hands of somebody that was going to be able to help me. Someone who kind of intervened on my life and told me that all the right things, right? Fast forward now. I come, I get sober, I go through this whole process of learning what sobriety really consists of. And I want to help other people. And I was in a, in a treatment center where there was, uh, they were very strong for, with family interaction, family mm-hmm. therapy. They had a, fam- a weekly family meeting where all the families of the addicts and alcoholics in that place would come and sit down. And when I, saw, I would see my counselor, one of his biggest frustrations was trying to get through to the parents. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the parents, they either listen or they don't listen. And yeah, recovery is not an individual it's issue. It's not. It's a family disease, yeah. right? So there's, and a lot of people don't even get that concept of if it's a yeah. family disease. You have to understand, uh, an addict doesn't just become an addict because they just want to, you know, just mm-hmm. because they're bored. There's things that go on in people's lives, certain traumas, certain upbringings. Um, a lot of people have sexual trauma. A lot of people have violence in their home um, and all these different things that happen. And then on top of it, they get to a point in their lives where they, they're introduced to something, whether it be through friends or a medicine cabinet in your house or whatever. But it might be a substance that will change their perception, their thought process. It'll make them feel good. And mm-hmm. you know, if it makes them feel good, they'll keep on chasing that and chasing that and chasing that. And if they have a place to continue to do that where they don't pay rent, and they, they have a job and they make some money from the job and they're able to still buy drugs, well, yeah. then, you, then you're harboring the addict. So mm-hmm. I'd see this counselor in this in this treatment setting and he would get really frustrated because the majority of the parents that he tried to work with wouldn't listen. They were always like ready to listen in the beginning, but they would never, a lot of them would never take full direction all the way through full course. Now, the ones that listened, their kids are sober. I mean, it's plain and simple. That's the way it works. If you actually feel like, as a parent, 
that you've tried every option to try to help your kid and nothing's working, if nothing's working, perhaps it's time to get some professional help. Mm -hmm. So I'm an interventionist, right? So I get called a lot. I get phone calls all the time from parents that want me to go in and help get their kid into the right treatment setting or sober living or whatever environment, right? Anything besides in their house. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'll get parents on board and we will do everything and I will try to coach them and tell them these are the things that you need to do in order to, for the kid to get desperate enough to get the help. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, a lot of, the, the, I, I, I often tell the parents that listen all the way through, good job, I commend you. I, like, yeah. This is exactly what you need to do to put the kid in a position where he can't expect anymore. He can't be the spoiled little kid that was getting everything that he always wanted. Because mm-hmm. truly, like, okay, let's say like you have this kid, he's in your house, hypothetically speaking. You're raising your kid, he's in your house. He went from smoking, from drinking to smoking weed to doing heavier drugs to doing heroin to doing straight fentanyl. Now he's in your house. He's doing fentanyl. Um, you're afraid to kick him out on the street. Is it worse if he goes out on the street and has and basically has no funds or no money after a period of time to where they can't really have the opportunity of overdosing, or? You're going to keep him in your house and keep paying his rent and he keeps getting his hands on drugs and he's using in your house and he may actually, you know, you're harboring a person that's in active addiction. It's a hard reality and I I can say from my experience having uh, my sister's an addict and having, you know, my mom borderline, you know, enable and constantly wanting to be there to help. Right. There's that, I'm not a parent, but there's that that fear of releasing them on the streets of, oh, they could die on the streets, they could die of an overdose right. on the streets and mm-hmm. not have here. And I think that that fear is what... It's a huge fear, but again, I think codependency goes really far, and there's yeah. many different forms of it. Sure. Um, a lot of people won't like to hear this, but mm-hmm. codependency, if you're codependent and you're enabling, you're really not trying to help your kid. It makes mm-hmm. you feel good because you feel like you think you're the one that's helping your kid. Yeah. That's harsh, the reality. It's, it's a harsh reality, but it's, it's uh, true. Basically, the kid's addicted to the drugs, and you're addicted to your kid, and you're also addicted to being in charge. You're addicted to being yeah. um, the controller of it all. You, if you if it doesn't go down the way that you want it to go down, mm-hmm. then it didn't go down properly. Yeah. And so a lot of people, it's a selfish act. Yeah. And it sucks because, it, I mean, a lot of people will argue you up and down. And if they feel like they've been labeled a codependent, they, they will fight it tooth and nail to sure. say that you're totally wrong and, and I know what I'm doing. And then of more often than none, we see their kids die. Hmm. We see them die. I mean, because they keep on wanting to have a hand in everything mm-hmm. and they can't just step out of the way and let the true professionals yeah. do what their work. Because... If they and it happens from a distance too. More often than none, you see a lot of different people who put their kid. Finally, they, they when they just can't deal with the kid anymore, and they get them into the treatment setting. That kid is going to try their damnedest to get to a phone, mm-hmm. to get to your ear, and to tell you things that'll be like gut wrenching. Like it'll, yeah. it'll they'll pull at your heartstrings to tell you things. Everything they'll find everything. I listen. I've been to treatment centers the most high-end ones, and I've been to like the ones in the ghetto. And the addict is the addict, no matter what. In those places, they will call the parents. The food is this. The staff is this way. That yeah, person did that to me. This person did this to me. That person talked to me a certain way. This person touched me inappropriately. They'll do anything, anything to manipulate their way back into your house. And of course, on the other end, the parents like freaking out. What? Where did I send my kid? Oh my God, I can't yeah. have this. But no, you know what? Step out of the way. 
if you actually listen to the person's counselor, to their case manager, if you listen to the person's therapist and you get them, you know, if you realize like this is classic kids that are spoiled, that are, that are, I hate to say but it's true. Spoiled rotten brats that basically have had everything their way. And they're going to keep getting everything their way if they... They'll make the parent feel guilty of, why did you put me here? I'm not even an addict. I'm not even that bad. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to an early point that you brought up about the reward system. Uh Uh, Also, everybody that's tuning in, if you have any questions whatsoever, uh, please let us know in the comments. Good morning, Erica. Hello. She said hi. yeah, or if you have a, uh, a, whether you're a parent or you have a parent, um, if you think they need this information or not, just tag them in it because it could be helpful to them. Mm-hmm. The reward system. I yes. want to go back to this. So this is an incredibly common parenting style of, yes. of rewarding mm-hmm. uh, and especially rewarding to just prevent them from uh overreacting or crying right you know, they're getting upset you know here's a tablet you know yes. it's going it goes from pacifier to tablet yeah. to candy right yeah, yeah exactly so mm-hmm. that obviously doesn't work what is or to most degree mm-hmm. anyway what's your suggestion on alternative parenting styles before they're actually getting the help or during the time before the time and up to the time um, because if this is something that's really ingrained and I, leads towards addictive behavior, good, good question. Okay, so I think a lot of parents should allow their kid to have a childhood experience, an adolescent experience, and a young adult experience responsibly. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, and you know, parents would do a lot better if their kids uh, learned not just the manners, like being polite and doing all those mm-hmm. things. But um, chores around the house and not Mm, doing chores because they're obligated because it's a chore, but because they do it out of the kindness of their heart because it makes them feel good to do it. Uh, Just it's a common practice to do what's right, to do, to have virtues, you know, to actually live through virtues and, and, and understand what they are, you know, and then, you know, just making sure that they're able to be responsible and held accountable. You know, parents have the right to choose their friends for them. Mm -hmm. It's really, Mm -hmm. you know, I know it's, it sounds far fetched. But if you, like for me, growing up, I, I gravitated towards the bad guys, right? I loved the ones that were, that were doing bad things, that liked to get high, that liked to vandalize, that liked to be defiant, that were little rebels. That was my thing. Mm-hmm. And the reason was because there was a lot of turmoil and, and stuff going on in the house. So don't you know, like, I want to go and hang out with the gangsters or the little badasses, right? So, so parents have the right to say, I don't want you around that kid. And, here's, and parents also have the right to drug test their kids. Sure. They have the right to to hair test their kids. Yeah. It's called, I was drug tested all the time as a were kid. Were you really? I oh, had yeah, no idea. Constantly. It's called prevention. Constantly. Right? Yeah. Like you prevent them from going down that path, right? Yeah. And of course, like just based off of your kids' behavior, you're gonna know if they're on a good path or not. Mm-hmm. You know, but it all depends on how you are with them too. If you're if you're acting a certain way with them or or, or if they're if the love is within the house, you know, if there's if it's a loving, caring environment and they're comfortable, you know, then you have more chances of the kids not going down that path but kids are clever and kids figure mm-hmm. out ways and kids will go in the direction of drugs and alcohol and some kids will they will comply to their parents needs within the house for a long time until they, they can work their way into some other place or some other area and there's a lot like I just had this mother that's called me my kid's 17 he's gonna be in two weeks he's gonna be 18 he smokes he just smokes weed mm-hmm. but he's waiting to graduate so he can go to UC Santa Barbara 
you know what happens at UC Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a total party school. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and I told her that if the kid might just be going through a phase. She wants me to meet with the kid and have that uh, come to Jesus conversation with him. Like, and fine, I mean, I'll meet with the kid. I'll talk to him. But like, I can't change the kid. You know, mm-hmm. if he already has his mind made up, I can tell him my experience. Mm-hmm. But I can't tell him you don't do drugs, right? That's yeah. like the worst thing to tell a kid that don't do drugs. Well, the, yeah, like the Dare program yeah, doesn't I mean, really. You know, I know they have good intention. I, they have but, good intention, but yeah. I know there's uh, the Arise and Flourish Foundation, which is back yeah. east as well mm-hmm. as out here. Is the stop before you start? They go to high schools, and when they go talk to kids, they don't say to them, "We're not." They, they basically they walk in, they don't say, "We're we're here to tell you to not do drugs." They go in there and say, "We're here to tell you that you're probably going to do drugs, or you probably already have, or you might." Right? We're not telling you not to do drugs. We're telling you our experience. And we want to educate you a little bit on I what could happen. I think that's a that's better the right way solution. To do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That just say no mentality. Like, yeah. sorry, Nancy, but... Um, yeah, I remember Dara, like, give them the cold shoulder. They said just you. say no. I said just say why. Right? Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, um, more frustrating, and, and I know we don't have a lot of time because we got to wrap it up soon. Yeah. More frustrating is the fact that, you know... I think that when, when parents ask someone for professional help, let the professional do his job. Mm-hmm. If you ask an interventionist to, to help you, let the person, you know, make sure that they're they're known and that they do a good job and and follow through. Like, just listen to them. Let them do their job and, and follow through all the way. Don't go 75% of the way and then just take the reins back into your own hand because you will be sadly disappointed and something dra- drastic and tragic could happen down the line. Hi, Cindy. What's up, Cindy? Yeah. We're, we got to get Cindy back on here again sometime. Most definitely. <laughs> well, I think we covered a lot of good stuff today. Any final thoughts? All I know is is stop. Just stop enabling your kids if you if you continue. And I know some people, they, they've heard it so many times. You know how many parents I hear all the time tell me, like, I put them here. I've asked so many sources, and they all say that I'm enabling I'm like, okay, so when are you going to stop enabling, right? Mm-hmm. If you hear it from so many sources, then perhaps just stop. And it's called cutting the umbilical cord and letting the person actually grow spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you know, all of it. That, that's the goal is to get the kid yeah. in a position to where they actually get to be their own person rather than be controlled by their parents. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. It is great advice. Uh, If anyone's tuning in or listening to this after the fact, if you have any follow-up questions, you can always reach out to us, Sobered Ryan. You can reach out to Pej uh, directly. You can reach out to myself. And you can always call us uh, at Beginnings Treatment Centers 24-7 at 800-387-6907. And someone will pick up the phone within seconds, guide you to the best solution for you, whatever you're going through. If you need an intervention, my name is Pejman. Allah Gamandan, 949-751-7761. I can do interventions in all different shapes, forms, and fashions, whether it be mental health or addiction, any age group, let me know. We have interventionists that work alongside me, male, female, any type of population. We're always readily available. Also, we have a Facebook page called Ask an Addiction Specialist. Yes. Um, You can go on there. We can add you. You can be part of that community. If you have any problems with an addict or an alcoholic, if you yourself are in in active addiction and you have questions, there's always a professional there or people in the community that have been sober a while that can give you their input. It's called Ask an Addiction Specialist. Mm -hmm. And besides that, if you learned something from this podcast today or just found it, it... educational, informational. We would love to hear your feedback in a a review, hopefully a five-star review, but we uh, very much appreciate your feedback. 
and every single review counts and helps us positively impact and reach more people. Uh, you can listen to us on every podcast platform, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and third-party apps that aggregated podcast addicts. You name it. Check us out. Give us a follow. Give us a review. Until next time, Sober Grind out.